Hello, and welcome back to Misadventures and My Quest for Gainful Employment. This is your host, Janelle, and I have a very special treat for you today. Sitting with me right now at my kitchen table is my father. Hello, folks. Thank you. And he didn't want me to say his name, but his name is Steve. I don't think he didn't want you to say his name. I think he said, well, you can address me as dad. Okay, You'll call me dad. This is my dad, Steve. And I'm also joined with my lovely sister, Sandra. Hello. Today's topic is going to be difficult bosses. And I'm going to start by sharing just a a real life story of just kind of a horrible boss I had. Uh, This isn't going to be the the main theme of this podcast because my dad has a really funny story from when he was a young officer in the Navy. Yes, my dad was in the Navy. I had this horrible job where I worked. I was living in Ames and... I worked for a property management company and I had this boss and her name was Karen Polpeka. And she was just kind of like this evil Nazi. And she um, like had all these rules for me. Like if the phone rang more than twice, I was in trouble. And I remember like sometimes I would really have to go to the bathroom, but I knew the phone might ring while I was urinating and I'd be like in the bathroom and then I'd hear the phone. I'd be like, Oh oh my gosh. And then like, I'd be in the bathroom and my, my boss like (laughs) screaming at me about like not picking up the phone. It was just like the workshop. I remember the, I remember the pay for whatever reason was really good. It was more money than I'd ever made at a job. And so I remember like, I'd get these paychecks and be like, wow, this is nice. And then I'd be like, I'd be at work be like, no, this is, this is horrible. And I, I was really the first time I really kind of, I felt like really understood that horrible relationship people have with kind of being, I don't know what the word would be, um, like, I don't know, just in the daily grind, like the daily grind was so horrible. And I had nothing to look forward to during my work day, except my paycheck. It was just a horrible existence. I mean, and, you know, many people live that way. <laughs> I mean, that is a way many people have to live to support their family. No, that's a good point. Because, I mean, everyone can relate to the bad boss. And my bad boss was just a season. And some people yeah. are listening. And they're like, and yeah, my bad boss is my career. I want to shout out to just the working man. Like, yeah. You know, people providing, people who go to work to provide for their families, you know. Um, I'm, it's, I'm sorry it has to suck for so many of us so often. And, you know, my, and I feel really grateful that, where I'm at now, I have meaningful, healthy, satisfying work. It's a true blessing. I remember when Karen Polpeka fired me. <laughs> she called me in their office and said, well, Janelle, I just need to tell you I'm very dissatisfied with your work here. And she said, but, and I had been hired through a temp agency. And so there were like kind of rules, like I had certain rights, like I, like she could fire me, but I would still get to work there for two weeks. And she said something like, you know, I think if you really like show me your best and, and give me all you've got it, I might give you an okay reference for another type of job. But the only type of job I really think you're well suited for is the kind of job where you just do the same thing over and over and you don't have to think. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm not like trying to like toot my own horn, but if anybody actually knows me, they would know that's really not accurate. Like I'm a pretty creative, engaged, I'm social, you know, none of that is true. You're smart. You're and, very <clears throat> smart. And I can be smart. And, and you love like solving. Problems. Yeah. 
Um, like that's just not true. And I remember like, um, I, I left, I mean, obviously when you get fired, even if it's from a horrible job for me, I cried, I went in my van and I cried. And then I remember, I realized, because it's the kind of what I did that was sort of not so great. Um, I realized she kind of did need me. Like I processed, I think 180 rent checks on the fifth of the month. And there was like a process that I learned how to do and I did it. And I came in the next day and there was a pile of rent checks on my desk. I just kind of be like, F you, Karen Becca. So I just went in and said, Karen, I'm just going to have you sign off on my um, my worksheet because it was a temp agency kind of thing. And I'm, and I'm just going to be on my way. And she goes, what? What are we going to do? And then I said, well, you can do whatever whatever you like. You can do whatever pleases you. And she goes, I mean, don't you think we should, don't you think you should stay and finish out your two weeks? And I just said, no. <laughs> so, so it was kind of the, the little sweet ending. And um, to, I know some people really loved Karen Pulpeka. Um, I almost want to say why they loved her, but I'm trying to keep this professional. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we are going to shift to my dad, Steve's story about being a young Navy officer, why don't you share a little bit about just your journey to the Navy and what you were doing? Because it's pretty high tech. You were like a nuclear submarine engineer. I don't really know what you were. Right. I was in the Navy nuclear power program. I had just finished that year-long training, got to my first submarine, which was out in Hawaii, which was beautiful. And the submarine was on the coming, finishing up a refueling overhaul, which is a big deal for a nuclear submarine when they open up the reactor compartment and take out the fuel rods and put new fuel rods in. It's a big deal. And I was brand new, just learning. And we had an engineer who was, who was a screamer. Who was a screamer. He was a very competent technical person, but he didn't create an environment in his organization where people could freely express themselves or ask questions or do, you know, tell him about a problem or so he didn't inspire that. So I remember an incident that happened while I was the engineering watch officer and bilge, why is the bilge full? We need to. So what is the bilge? The bilge is the bottom of the submarine where water would collect. So if, if, you know, if you had minor leakages from pumps seals you know you had pumps that were pumping the salt water through the system and any kind of leakages water oil water would go into the bill okay so just to kind of speed up this was radioactive water going into the bill no not not normally this was just this was just normal water and you pump it out <laughs> but but on a nuclear submarine we had some tanks that contained what they called controlled pure water controlled pure water had been exposed to radiation, but it wasn't over any legal limits. It wasn't dangerous. It was just in the state of California. It was just <laughs> I don't know. I was in Hawaii. And this was in the 70s, not now. But you could not pump controlled pure water overboard into the sea. You would pump it in when you were ashore, you'd hook up special tanks if you needed to offload it, and you would pump it to these special tanks. Well, the, our controlled pure water tank was leaking into the bills because And the gauge, there was a gauge, a level gauge on this tank, and it didn't work right. So you'd look at the tank gauge. You'd say, nope, the tank level's fine. I'll take a moment to say, 
just a shout out to our servicemen and women. Yes, thank and you for serving. Thank you for serving <laughs> right. and, and for their families. Okay, all right. So anyways, at some time later, it was discovered the tank was empty. So control pure water is, is controlled, okay? You don't just, it doesn't just get to disappear. All right, <laughs> it's controlled legally and procedurally. So when the engineer found out the tank was empty, because the, the he's like, Yelling at the main propulsion system, where'd the water go? I don't know what happened. I don't know. Nobody knew. And then it dawned on me that it was on my watch that this bilge kept filling up and we had to keep pumping it overboard and we didn't know where the water was coming from. And when I realized that, I went back and found the engineering watch supervisor and I said, catch him. The tank got emptied on our watch. It was leaking into the bilge. And he said, oh my, you're right. And I said, we're not telling the engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm keeping my mouth shut, and so are you. He said, Yeah, we're keeping our mouth shut. We don't know what happened. <laughs> so, so, so what? There's deformities on the manatees and the whales. <laughs> no, I told you it's not radioactive water. But the point is, the I mean, lesson. No, it's not radioactive water. It's tested. Okay. But procedurally. Are they tested procedurally by young Navy <laughs> <laughs> officers. The point of the story, the point them. of the story that I want to communicate to your listeners is two things. <clears throat> One, you should never be afraid to tell the truth. I was. That's, I was intimidated. But, I, you know, as I look back at my life, I often didn't even ask questions in college. And looking back on it, I should have. I, I don't worry about that now. You know, that comes with it. But you also, as a supervisor or a boss of any kind, it's important that you create an atmosphere where your employees can trust you to bring them true information. You should yeah. never be afraid to tell the truth and when you realize something isn't right and you shouldn't have an atmosphere where your employees don't want to tell you the truth. That's my story. Well, thank you. That's that was a Are you concerned about supply chain issues? Is the present political climate causing you to lose sleep at night? Is the nation's response to the COVID pandemic causing fear about how our country is prioritizing your liberties? Are you sick of being labeled and mocked a doomsday prepper by sheep who believe everything broadcasted in our liberal media? What are you going to do when it all comes crashing down? And you know it will. And they come running to you for provision. We have the solution. Create your own energy using two parts hypocrisy and one part methane gas. Shaken, not stirred. Simply lock the short-sighted looters in our unbreakable energy chamber and choose your setting. Set to SAS gas, this setting provides enough fuel for your house for 12 hours. Set to jerk juice, the whole neighborhood will have power. Turn their ignorance into an asset and fear no more. So I would like to tell a story, not exactly about a difficult boss, but about a difficult situation I had with two of my bosses, where I got fired passive aggressively, as in after this instance, they just never scheduled me for hours again, never gave me an explanation and just ignored me. And <laughs> I more or less got fired from a catering job for being too sweaty which I just 
when I think back on it, for the whole situation was just absurd. And it's pretty funny, in my opinion. So there was like a time, um, I think my son was three years old. I was moving to a new city. Um, my my life was just in upheaval and I was just desperately working any job I could I could work. And I got a job on the weekends catering. I guess I, I got a job with this huge restaurant in Ames, Iowa. I'm just going to name the name of it. Hickory Park. Everyone, it's like a kind of a, a special restaurant to the people of Ames, Iowa. And I filled out an application because I heard like the starting wage was pretty good. <laughs> I honestly think it was like 12 bucks an hour. But like at that time, like that was good for me. And they're like, yeah, we think your schedule would really work well for catering. And so I done a few catering gigs. This is kind of an aside, but I am always having hair issues. I have a problem where I will get an impulse and I don't want to wait to go to the salon. So I'll cut my own hair. And um, I remember I was really broke at this time. And so I had my aunt cut my hair and I had this like vision for what I wanted my hair to be. I wanted it like long in the front, kind of short and layered in the back and tapered. This super complicated haircut. But I didn't know how to communicate it to my aunt, who's not even a hairdresser. She's just like a nice person who wanted to help me save money and cut my hair. And I ended up just with this this wreck of a haircut. It was just ridiculous. It was just this absurdly ugly haircut. And I remember when it was over, my aunt kind of like laughed at me. And it's like, I'm sorry. I'm like, well, you know, grow out. It's not a big deal. And, and I really didn't make a big deal about it. I was like, you know, it is just hair. My hair never really looks good anyways. At least maybe that's just how I'm feeling now because I got my hair highlighted and it's just dried out over the winter. And my son went up to me and said, mom, your hair got frostbit. <laughs> I'm like, ah. So I just had this weird haircut where like it was long in the front and you couldn't do anything with it. And it was like all choppy in the back. And that 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 comes into play in the story. So working at Hickory Park, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. Catering is, it's a huge restaurant and these catering gigs are for these huge fancy weddings where you have to go in the fridge and everything's in stacked up in these bins. You have to load these trucks and drive, you know, far away and load it all up. And I'm not even very strong. I remember like, I never felt like I was strong enough to lift the meat tray into the steam table. I'd always feel like I was about to drop it. You know, you're like spilling gravy it was just kind of horrible work. It was thankless work. You know, I think once I got tipped $10. And anyway, so most of the caterers had these really kind of snazzy polo shirts. Like they were just a sharp looking shirt that they would wear. And for whatever reason, as soon as I came on and was hired, they had just run out of these polo shirts. And so I just got like a regular Hickory Park t-shirt. And like without going into detail, my body does not look good in standard men's t-shirts. I just want like, I don't, I also want to emphasize that because that comes into play in this. I do not look good in t-shirts. I do not wear t-shirts, especially a men's t-shirt. It's just not a good, it's not a flattering, no one wants to see it. And I don't feel comfortable in it for sure. So, um, I remember like I I get to work and like it's just the, the kitchen is crazy. I mean, this restaurant is so huge. This restaurant is enormous. And everyone, I don't really know what I'm doing. And everyone's just kind of screaming. They're like, go in the freezer, get the pickles and come out. Then put the, the potato salad on the cart. And so I'm just going. And then there's this huge broiler where they're like smoking the meats and everything. And I'm going from in a freezing fridge and freezer to really hot kitchens, lifting heavy things, you know, 
being stressed out. And for whatever reason, the way my body responded to this was I just became 100% drenched in sweat. Like my hair was just, and I didn't really have a lot of hair, but it was completely soaked. Like, I mean, it looked like I'd gotten out of the shower. And I mean, my my shirt, like the armpits, the boobs, everything was just like soaked. And I'm going to cater a wedding. I mean, I'm really kind of not very acclimated to this job. I'm just trying to do my best. I'm overwhelmed. The catering boss comes up to me and just goes, you can't go to a wedding looking like that. And I'm like, I, I don't know what, what to say. And she goes, well, here, put your hair up. So she hands me a hair tie. And all I can do is literally put the little hair I have that's long in a ponytail on the very top of my head. And the amount of hair that poked out of that ponytail was like one to two inches. It just made me look absurd. But my boss told me, and then she, my boss told me to do it. Then she says to me, go upstairs and ask for a new shirt. I go upstairs to the, actually the guy who hired me and I said, hey, I need a new shirt. And he goes, why? I'm like, well, you know, the catering lady told me, you know, I was too sweaty and I needed a new shirt. And then this is kind of the funny part. He just looks at me and goes, yeah, you are sweaty. I'm like, I know. And he goes, I mean, like really sweaty. I'm like, yeah. He goes, I mean, I get sweaty sometimes, but not like that. Like he's just driving at home. And he goes, why are you so sweaty? He's like, are you nervous? And I was like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. And so he hands me a new shirt and the shirt was bright purple, which like looks horrible on me, doesn't fit. And I just look like a freak. I mean, I've got this soaking wet hair, this ponytail on top of my head, this purple shirt that's way too tight on my boobs. And I remember like I go downstairs and the girl, because you always go with another person, looked at me and said, is that what you're wearing? I'm like, yeah. And so I went to this catering gig. I don't know if they got complaints for how unprofessional the caterers looked. All I know was after I was so embarrassed that whole time of being in public at a wedding, presenting the way I was because you are publicly stocking the rolls and changing the meat and stirring the gravy. It was just so absurd, the whole situation. And again, I don't know why I I got so sweaty. I, I don't have the answer to that. I feel like, um, and then I just was never put on the schedule again after that. So that's my story. Not necessarily a bad boss, but I'm just kind of a passive aggressive boss. You know, maybe they could have said like, yeah, you just, maybe just would have been too awkward to fire me, but I thought it was kind of a crappy way to get fired. So I kind of want to wrap it up with kind of this, this closing thoughts, and I'm just going to kind of put it in my own words. And if you want to add to it, you can. I feel like my dad's message was like, hey, if you're in a leadership position, if you're a boss, make yourself approachable and safe for your people to come to you with the truth and with information. Don't be screaming at them. And But as an employee, don't be afraid. As an employee, don't be afraid. Stand up and speak what you have to. If you get yelled at, so what? It just doesn't matter. Yeah. And I feel like definitely my reflection for my story is – I've been willing to try new things. Like that's one of my strengths is I jump in and try new things. And so it appears that I fail a lot because things don't work out. And, you know, working as an office manager was not a good fit for me. Mine is maybe don't take it personally. If your job isn't working out for you, just try, just take a risk and try something new. Yeah. I think that's a really good takeaway. I would say that's the takeaway I take from that experience. Okay. All right. Let's all say goodbye.
See you later. Bye. See you, folks. <laughs>